Welcome to The Brian Buffini Show, where we explore the mindsets, motivation, and methodologies of success. Here's your host, Brian Buffini. Well, the top of the morning to you, and welcome to the Brian Buffini Show. Today's going to be a coaching session, and we're going to get you in the locker room and have a chat. Today's topic is when the going gets tough, dot, dot, dot. Now, you know what the phrase is, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And so today is all about developing mental toughness, mental toughness. Something I think that's in shorter supply all the time right now. Something I think when you develop sets you apart from your competition. Something that actually helps lead to this thing called a good life. You got to be mentally tough. You got to be mentally tough in your family life and in your relationships. You got to be mentally tough in your business. You got to be mentally tough in your financial life. You got to be mentally tough in your physical life. You got to be mentally tough emotionally. Why? Because life can be challenging. It is challenging. And we always say it's a good life. It's not awesome. Inside the infinite love of God, there's a place for suffering. And there's suffering and difficulties for all of us. And so mental toughness is a core characteristic for the mindset, motivation, and methodologies of success. So, got three points for you today, as always. First is, I'm going to expose the problem. And that is, I believe, culturally, we've become mentally soft. I'm going to walk us through that today. I'm going to challenge you as I challenge myself. I've never and will never teach on a subject that I don't first go through the prism of it myself. And so I've asked myself the question, in what areas and in what ways have I become mentally soft? We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about who is mentally tough. Who are the models? Who are the examples? And then I'm going to give you some how-tos. Mindset, motivation, methodologies. I'm going to give you how to be mentally tough. We become mentally soft, who's mentally tough, and how to be mentally tough. So let's talk about it. First and foremost, what are the symptoms? Well, the first thing is that we have symptoms of a culture that's become soft. We just have. These symptoms are everywhere. It started a number of years ago with what has been called a political correctness culture that's turned into the council culture and many other dynamics. And again, good ideas behind these, good ideas drift. And so it becomes we need to we need to not say things to intentionally or unintentionally offend people, judge people. We can't stand for things like racism and bigotry and those kinds of things. But what's happened is now we've become so concerned about being judged for being judgmental. And as we capture those words and we capture those thoughts, what's happened is now it's manifested itself into a culture that is readily available to take offense at everything. It's just we're very easy to take offense. And someone who easily takes offense is not somebody who's mentally tough. When you easily and readily take offense at the slightest thing, you are not mentally tough. You get to take offense you get to be outraged, you get to be indignant about the slightest offense, that is not a sign of strength. That is a sign of ever-increasing, burgeoning weakness that will ultimately tear an individual 
terror to community, terror to family, terror to society. Another symptom of our culture's softness is entitlement. Now, this is a word that's typically used in regards to adults talking about younger people, especially the much maligned millennials. And I'm going to show you where it comes from today, because the opposite of entitlement is actually one of our solutions, which is gratitude. What's happened is parents did not insist in raising their kids to the expression and the openness of gratitude. They didn't demand and exact that. Please and thank you. They didn't demand it. As a father of six children, I can tell you this, that I have been relentless in the 28 years as a father and now as a grandfather. You know, my little grandson, say thank you, say thank you, say thank you. They don't want to say thank you. Nobody wants to say thank you. Nobody wants to say please. Let me tell you, when they're with dad or they're with grandpa, everything stops until please and thank you said. Now you might go, okay, they're obeying the letter of the law. Well, let me tell you, first of all, you put the rules in place and then maybe the heart follows. Because as you say these words, things change. We have become entitled as a culture, entitled to comfort, entitled to everything being right away. Our fast food's not fast enough. We're entitled to only markets that go up. We're entitled to real estate that only increases. We're entitled to income that only goes up. We're entitled to not have difficulties. We're entitled to control everything. That sense of entitlement ultimately leads to the worst kind of depression, the worst kind of mental internal struggle, because it creates an expectation that we're due something. The world owes us something. And we live in a constant state that everything and everyone is not meeting our expectations that we're entitled to. And so I'm going to take this on head on. It's everywhere. It's in all of our lives. We have these expectations. Find out the things you get indignant and frustrated over, and you'll find a sense of entitlement behind it. We want quick fixes. Instant. Isn't that what technology guarantees us? It was just everything's right now. And there's some magic things, right? But you used to be at home, you'd sit in a bar and argue over, you know, some facts. Some fellas say, Patty, Joe Murphy is the greatest hurler in the history of Kerry, and so on. So, oh, no, he wasn't, and there's another fella, and this would go on all night. Now, well, now we just Google it, and we can find out in three minutes. By the way, the purpose of the conversation wasn't who was right. The purpose of the conversation was the camaraderie, the stories that came out of it, and the fun that was had doing it. But now we want quick fixes. We want it instant. Instant, 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 because we get so many things instant. Anything that's not instant and quickly fixed is a travesty with this overreaction. Another symptom of the soft culture is parenting by appeasement. Parenting by appeasement. I believe this has gone on for so many years, and it happens as we embrace uh, psychology as the number one taught subject in American universities. And psychology, like all the sciences, by the way, is a developing process. And I've been reading an awful lot lately on all the dynamics of the modern history of psychology and where it's developed from and where it's developing to. And it is developing, like they're practicing medicine. But one of the dynamics that's happened is because of psychological awareness. You know, in the 40s, people grew up with the baby boomers and they were, they were stoic and didn't show affection and approval. The next generation, they show nothing but approval and affection. And then we have the trophies and the, you know, the participation and you can do it. You can do anything you want, honey. And, and we get into this appeasement. And then we ultimately get to a spot today where people don't want their children to face any kind of adversity at all. 
Now, I am a father of six. I don't want bad things to happen to my kids. But bad things do and have happened, and they've had to work through them, and I want to be alongside and Bev wants to be alongside them. You know, we become who we are as people because of the adversity we face in our life, and we spend the rest of our life trying to avoid that adversity for our own kids. I think culturally we've gotten a little soft. If World War II happened today, I wonder how America would respond. I wonder how we would. Now, I do believe that people will eventually step up. I think once they got through it all, people would roll up their sleeves and come together and grind it out. But man, there'd be weeping and gnashing of teeth to get to that point. We have to have discipline and we have to be able to deny ourselves. We don't have to have everything now and everything easy and everything's controlled and everything's a quick fix because we're entitled to it. The great Brian Tracy, who we've done a podcast with here, says the ability to discipline yourself to delay gratification in the short term in order to enjoy greater rewards in the long term is the indispensable prerequisite for success. My good friend Les Brown says, if you do what is easy, your life will be hard. But if you do what is hard, your life will be easy. But we have to do the hard things. I was being interviewed here just today, and this person wanted to know about my success and what I do, and I've been so open and I've shared all the secrets to my success. I've systemized them. We train them. We coach them. But they're no secret. We've trained millions of people, and we've, I've told everyone I can what I do. But the one thing this guy asked me that I finally answered was, I can tell people what to do, but I've been willing to do things that most people aren't willing to do. In my real estate career, I was willing to come in early and stay late. I said I was going to write 10 personal notes a day. I wrote 10 personal notes a day. I said I was going to make you know, X number of calls a day. I made those calls. And I wouldn't leave until I did them. When I started the speaking and training business, you know, which is so exciting to so many people, it sounds like it has so much purpose to it, and it does. But people, I want to be a speaker like you, Brian. I want to have audiences of thousands of people like you do, Brian. But were they willing to do what I was willing to do? Were they willing to go to 450 cities in America? Were they willing to go to crowds of seven people and 10 people and 12 people? Were they willing to work through when the AV system went on fire in Philadelphia or where they were shut down and locked in snow for three days? Okay, 2,200 seminars. And so I've been there, done that year after year after year. Oh, I, I want to be in your spot, Brian. But they weren't, weren't willing to do the things it takes to do it. And, and the reason I'm able to be of value to people today is because I did all that grinding. I did all that hard work. And that's, that's where the toughness comes from. You'll be mentally tough so you can be practically tough. Abraham Lincoln said, you cannot help men permanently by doing for them what they could and should do for themselves. That's what it's all about. Another thing that's made us soft is tech. Tech has made us soft. We have so much screen time. We are becoming people who kind of connect through screens. And we also, through this technological world, we've had this less positive interaction. Oh, by the way, we won't say things to people in person, but we'll say all these things through technology. You know, the average person spends three hours a day on their phone. That's 11 years during the average person's lifespan. We spend as much 12 hours a day in front of TVs and computers. It's made us soft. It's made us soft. Emilio Estevez, famous actor, says, in making certain things easier for people, technology has actually demotivated people from using their brains. Steve Jobs says, misuse of technology is a social problem not a technology problem. Right, so it's, it's not tech's fault. They didn't force me to watch the phone for three hours a day. They're not forcing me to be on the computer and the TV. 
12 hours a day. They're not forcing me to do the Netflix. They're not forcing me to do that stuff. It's a social problem. Here's the third thing that's made us soft is convenience. Convenience has made us soft. You know, what's interesting is we had this COVID-19 hit the world. It took away conveniences. And there's two mixed reactions. There was panic and fear. And then there was resiliency and strength. And just, we're going to figure this out. But the panic and fear was what leads the charge. And that's also what gets promoted. It also gets extolled. It gets exploited. It's very good for political pragmatism to expand upon people's fears. Therefore, you can get things done that you've been trying to get done for a long time. The fact is, we want it now. We want it here, and we want it easy. And convenience makes us soft. And so that's why this is a blessing to go through these difficult times. It's not a blessing that anybody got sick. It's not a blessing that anybody passed away. The virus, I wish it had never come. But this thing, for sure, this kind of adversity can make us, make us all. And that's really what it's all about. And so we have to really knuckle down, find out what we're all about, find out where we want to go. You know, Bob Dylan said, people seldom do what they believe in. They do what's convenient and then repent. Man, that guy could put lyrics together. Do we just do what's convenient? It's made us soft. Bodie Taney said, what is right is often forgotten by what is convenient. Tony Dungy said, integrity is the choice between what's convenient and what's right. And I think that's what these challenges and these difficult times can do. What's important? What do I believe in? And I would say this, my wife and I have had many conversations that happened during COVID and post-lockdown that really got us back to sharpening our focus on what's truly important. It really helped us sharpen our focus with our goals, sharpen our focus with our kids. And by the way, it's made a lot of things that were annoyances and nuances, all of a sudden, who cares? Who cares? And so it's very, very important. And so we need to be mentally tough. We've got to get away from being soft. Nothing good in your life comes from being soft. No, I'm not talking about soft-hearted. I'm talking about soft mentally. There's not one blessing in your life. There's not one relationship that'll be improved. There's not one aspect of your health, business, finances, or spiritual life that will be enhanced by being mentally soft. So that really becomes one of the enemies we need to defeat. So we talked about the symptoms of the culture. We talk about tech and we talked about convenience. So let's, let's switch gears, right? Let's get to the positive side of this. Who is mentally tough? Well, there's a lot of people mentally tough. I'm going to give you a great example here. It's the Navy SEALs. So right here in Coronado, California, out in Virginia Beach, Virginia, are the two bases for Navy SEALs. And you know, there's so many movies made and so many books written. In fact, there's a lot of people inside the Navy SEAL culture don't particularly care for a lot of these movies and shows because they believe it kind of violates the secret code and, and the secret type of work that these men have to do. But they're a great study for us and an example to follow. They have the mindset and the motivation and the methodologies. Their mindset is a don't quit mindset. I'll give you an example. When we think about the Navy SEALs, most people think about the hard couple of weeks they have in the BUDS training. Let me tell you, their BUDS training goes on for almost 18 months. They have a bell and they have their hard hats on and, and what they have to do when they quit is they have to take their hat off, they have to put it this bell and they ring this bell three times in order to announce that I'm quitting and they have to do it publicly. They all shout when somebody quits. And, and here's the thing. I've watched this. I've seen this. I, I've watched Navy SEALs train right here in Coronado, and you'll have 180 studs. Just look like every single one of these characters is going to make it. 
athletes and champions and this and any other, and, and they'll finish up with 30 of them. And you go, what is the difference? Well, what they're looking for is people who are not physical specimens. They're looking for people who are mental specimens. And so they have this dynamic of don't quit. Don't ring the bell. Don't ring the bell. Let, let me give you an example of this. In 2007, Buffini & Company was the largest business coaching company in the world for real estate. We had 400 employees. We had been on a meteoric rise for the best part of a decade. We had just huge penetration in the marketplace, tens of thousands of clients. And then we ran smack dab into the economic meltdown centered in real estate. And we saw it in 2007. It wasn't announced till November 2008. Our company felt it in January of 2007. And we lost about 60% of our revenue, okay? You're talking about $30, $40 million less than what you're used to making as a company, and you cannot reduce your expenses that fast. So we had tens of millions of dollars of a shortfall. We had to go through heck and back. We laid off hundreds of people. But I've been asked in many interviews since. In fact, one interview was with Beverly. They asked us a question. You know, did you ever consider giving up? And Beverly, who normally, she's kind of, she's, she's more of a thinker. She waits for, a lot of times for me to answer, and she tags in with what I say in, in a lot of these interviews. She just laughed. She goes, it never entered our minds. And, and it, you know, like many things with my wife, I just need to stop and write it down. We never even thought about quitting. We never once thought, oh, man, what, how is this going to affect us? We ended up selling $40 million of our family's real estate fortune and liquidated those assets to take the money, to put it back into the company, to keep the company solvent. Never once was there a discussion of if we should do this or not. It was just, it's the right thing to do. In fact, my wife has said, hey, where did the motivation come to do this in the first place? I said, well, God put it on our hearts to go impact and improve the lives of people. And she simply said to me, has anything changed? Have you heard anything else from God? I go, no. Great. Well, then our decision's made for us. Mentally made up. Don't quit wasn't even in it. You know, when we went into that recession, there were 27 major coaching companies in our verticals of real estate and lending. Three years later, there was two. And what's happened since that time is the, the rebuilding, the retooling of Buffini Company, we became a better company a better organization with better offerings, much more structured. So now when all of a sudden COVID comes and all this type of stuff comes, it really didn't knock us back at all. We didn't lose a step because we went through the tough times. We learned from the tough times, but we had that made up mind. So just don't quit. Don't quit. A phrase from the Navy SEAL says, I will never quit. I persevere and thrive in adversity. If knocked down, I will get back up every time. Thomas Edison said, our greatest weakness lies in giving up. The most certain way to succeed is always to try, here it is, just one more time. Muhammad Ali said, don't quit. Suffer now and live the rest of your life as a champion. I don't know who I'm talking out there today, but maybe you're suffering. Maybe you're just getting hit left and right, mentally, emotionally, financially. I don't know where you're at, but just don't quit. And you are suffering now. That's okay. It doesn't mean it's wrong or you're on the wrong path. It means you're in the middle of life. Suffer now, fight through, made up mind, live the rest of your life as a champion. The second thing we can learn from the Navy SEALs is the motivation piece. Be the best. Be the best of the best. You know, Navy SEALs are less than 1% of the entire U.S. Navy. 
according to Business Insider, they're considered the best special operations force in the world. They're just committed to being the best of the best. Have you ever considered yourself that? You know, Navy SEALs aren't born, they're made. Have you ever considered yourself that you could become the best of the best at what you do? The best of the best. For those of you who are not in the real estate business, let me say this to you. I like to think that the people we've coached and trained are like the Navy SEALs of realtors. They're just the best of the best. They're trained. They're specialists. They're the best of the best. And they also have hearts of gold. They're personal growth and development people like you. That's why they listen to this show. That's why they're being coached by us. And so if ever you're in need of a good realtor, let me tell you, call the Navy SEALs of real estate. You can call Buffini Company. You can send me an email. We'll find you one of these great realtors. Brian Tracy said, the future belongs to the competent. Get good, get better, be the best. Jackson Brown said, the best preparation for tomorrow is doing your best today. The Dalai Lama said, the goal is not to be better than the other man, but be better than your previous self. Powerful stuff. So we covered mindset. They never give up. We covered motivation. Be the best of the best. And then we're going to cover methodologies. And the methodologies for Navy SEALs is one word, training. Training, 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 training. You know, they figured out in the military, not through some altruistic practice, but basically that one trained Navy SEAL was worth 150 combat soldiers in combat. And they said, man, we can save a lot of money by just investing in one Navy SEAL. We can send them places. They can move quickly. They can get stuff done that needs to get done as opposed to all the support and all the money and all the resources for 150 military people. They pour their money into the training of the individual SEAL. You know, I love this quote, that Navy SEALs say when you're under pressure, you don't rise to the occasion, you sink to the level of your training, so train well. A Navy SEAL maxim says, the more you sweat in training, the less you bleed in battle. Andre Agassi says, if you don't practice, you don't deserve to win, no question. I will say this, Do you sink to the level of your training? What training are you taking? Now, if you're ever interested in checking out Buffini and Company and the career path we've laid out, you know, one of the things we used is this particular cycle of COVID and the restrictions and whatever else to go build training programs that I've wanted to build for years. And because I wasn't traveling and on the road, we just took all this time and all our resources and all our video team and our media producers and our content developers And we built the 100 Days to Greatness for people who are new and just getting started. We've had the essentials for people to get to the next level. And then ultimately for folks to learn how to become great business owners, we built the advanced. And now now we're moving on and building great teams training. What training are you taking? If you're self-employed, no matter what, you need to be involved in training. If you want to grow in personal development, you've got to be taking courses and classes. You know, I love the fact that you listen to The Brian Buffini Show, but this is a passive one-way form of communication. It says training, not trained. Training means it's ongoing. It's a verb. It's an action word. So training, we've got to be constantly training. And I find when I'm training, I'm learning. And when I'm learning, I'm growing. And when I'm growing, I'm happy. It doesn't matter what's going on. I found this as a guy that's been broke and a guy that's become very wealthy. I got to tell you, being wealthy doesn't make you happy. Now, I will say this. It helps you avoid misery, the misery of poverty. So I'm glad I don't have that in my life. I have choices. I have opportunities. My kids have choices. My kids have opportunities. But I can tell you, I guarantee money and wealth won't in and of itself make you happy. A sense of purpose will. Doing work that's meaningful will. Relationships that matter will. And then I will also tell you what makes me happy that I've seen make a lot of people happy. 
is when you're growing as a person, where you see the development as a person. And oh, by the way, when you're really growing as a person, sometimes it's hard to know until you get feedback. It's hard to know. One of the reasons I love when people journal is they get the feedback from the journal. You read, oh man, I'm, I'm really developing here. So we've covered how we've gotten soft. We talked about the mindset, motivation, and methodology of the SEALs where they, they don't quit. They want to be the best of the best and they're engaged in training. And now I want to give you some tips as we finish up here on how to be mentally tough. And the first one doesn't sound like a tough way at all, but it's practice gratitude. See, gratitude is the direct opposite of entitlement. Criticism is the embodiment of entitlement. You want to know if you're entitled at all? Listen to what you criticize. Listen to what you're criticizing. That's when it'll show you your areas of entitlement. The way to replace that is gratitude. And gratitude can take every single situation and turn it right side up. See, you can't be grateful and entitled at the exact same time. It's just impossible. So when you're full of gratitude, you're eliminating entitlement. It's tough to be grateful in an ungrateful world, but it's always rewarding. It's always rewarding. Cicero, a couple thousand years ago, said gratitude is not only the greatest of virtues, but the parent of all others. One of my favorite quotes. One of my favorite people, Zig Ziglar, said gratitude is the healthiest of all human emotions. The more you express gratitude for what you have, the more likely you will have even more to express gratitude for. So good. So good. G.K. Chesterton said, I would maintain that thanks are the highest form of thought and that gratitude is happiness doubled by wonder. I'm going to say that one again. I would maintain that thanks are the highest form of thought. And we're talking about mental toughness. And that gratitude is happiness doubled by wonder. Oh, man. Good stuff. I'm getting myself fired up today. Henry Ward Beecher said, The unthankful heart discovers no mercies, but the thankful heart will find in every hour some heavenly blessings. Have you been around people who are thankful? I'm going to dedicate today's podcast to the most thankful person I know. He's worked for me for 24 years. His name is Barth Eddy. He just celebrated his 70th birthday. And for the past 24 years working at Buffco, I've watched him. Now, let me say this. Barth Eddy was born a year before the polio vaccine was invented. And he was a child that had polio. He's never had the use of his legs. He's had braces and crutches his whole life, now wheelchairs. I have never met a more thankful man. I have never met a man who appreciates the small and simple things of life. When I'm in his presence, it just challenges me. Every meal is a delight. Every dish is a banquet. You find him all the time just laughing out loud, and he just has this joy. He has this joy in his life. He has a wife that has Alzheimer's. He's got a full plate. His daughter and her child have been living with him for 15 years. He, he just finds delight in everything. I just find myself being a better man when I'm around him. Any of you who've ever been to our events back in the day, Barth used to be our MC, and he has this fantastic voice. He's just the most spectacular person, and he just has gratitude for everything and has such joy. Perspective. That's another key ingredient in the how-to for developing mental toughness. Here's the perspective. Know where you come from. Know who you are. And don't forget where you come from. Now, don't stay planted and stay stuck back there. But always remember where you came from. 
One of the dynamics we've seen in coaching throughout the years is that people have a tendency, they grow and grow and grow, and then they become disillusioned or discouraged or depressed because they've forgotten how far they've grown. They've forgotten how far they've come. It's very, very important. Know what and where you've come from. And then lastly, here's the question. I talk about the emigrant edge in the book that I wrote, and I've always said, whether you're an emigrant or whether you have an ancestor, parent, grandparent, whoever else, I've always said to people, if those folks emigrated to this country and had your opportunity and your database and your resources, what would they do with it? What would they do? I think they'd run at it. I think they'd take it. I think that's a big perspective. Wayne Dyer said, if you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Maya Angelou said, if you don't like something, change it. If you can't change it, change your attitudes towards it. Oprah Winfrey said, the smallest change of perspective can transform a life. Henry David Thoreau a long time ago said, it's not what you look at that matters, it's what you see. Perspective is key. Lastly, the power of a made-up mind. Possibly the most popular message I ever taught on, the power of a made-up mind, which tells me how much people wanted it and needed it. It's actually episode number 25 of The Brian Buffini Show, if you want to go back in the archives. But the power of a made-up mind. Here's the thought. The thought is that it's your time right now. It's your time right now. Understand and analyze when have you made up your mind in the past? What have you made up your mind about and just acted upon it? And where do you need to make up your mind now? What is it you need to make your mind up about now and just go do it and just go for it? And you're not going to question. You're not going to second guess. You're not going to, boom, I'm going for it. I'm going to get trained. I'm going to go. I'm going to grow. I'm just going to go. It's your time right now. Right now. What do you need to make up your mind about today? My mother said, you can do it, but you got to have your mind made up, Brian. Therese just celebrated her 90th birthday, and she's made up her mind for a long time, and she's been an inspiration to me for that. Viktor Frankl, who wrote Man's Search for Meaning, said, if you have a strong enough why, you can endure anyhow. It's really the summation of the whole book. Very, very powerful. One of my favorite authors, Brian Buffini, said, a human being whose mind is made up is a force of nature in this world, and I believe that. Folks, I don't ever want to beat anybody up. I don't ever want anybody to listen to an episode of this and feel worse than they did before, but I also don't mind having the coaching session with you where I call a spade a spade. I think we've gotten a little soft. I think we can learn from those who are mentally tough. And there's a lot more than just Navy SEALs. I look at the single moms and single dads. I look at people who've had to overcome challenges and difficulties and diseases and depressions and all kinds of things who are people I just revere as heroes. And we've covered a few thoughts today on how to be mentally tough by embracing gratitude and having perspective and ultimately the power of a made-up mind. Well, I want you to know this. I'm very proud to do this work. I'm proud of all the people who come and listen to this stuff. You know, I'm not always just blowing sweet sounds in your ears, okay? Sometimes we have messages like this. But I really know this, that if you can become mentally tough, it'll impact every area of your life. And being mentally tough does not mean you become tough in the heart. You can be gracious, you can be sensitive, you can be empathic, you can be everything you are to be. You can be loving and caring, but you got to be mentally tough with that. A mile from our home that I grew up in Dublin, a Mother Teresa actually became a novice as a nun. Now, here's mental toughness with the heart of an angel. She went to Calcutta, the poorest country in the world at that time, the poorest city in the world. 
And she went there and she loved and she cared and she loved and she cared. She kept growing, but she was mentally tough. And she went to, at one stage, the richest man in all of Calcutta. And he was a Muslim and he hated her and what she stood for. But she went to him and she was asking him for a donation for the orphanage. And the man got up from behind his desk and spat in her face. And she looked at him and she smiled and she said, okay, that was for me. Now what are you going to do for the children? That man became one of her great friends, her single largest donor, and the cornerstone of one of the biggest orphanages and charities the world has ever known. Mother Teresa had a heart of gold, but she had a made-up mind that was as tough as nails. Well, from one Mother Teresa to the other, I leave you today with a mentally tough little Irish lady who's 90 years young who has a good word for y'all. Until next time, God bless. May the road rise up to meet you, and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields, and the sun shine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time.